we're living in a, you know, a very distracting world. And for, for many of us, we find ourselves distracted most of the time in our daily life. So when I really started to just enjoy sitting and breathing or walking and breathing, they're very simple practices that brought me more into my true presence that I, I hadn't really experienced deeply before. And that is really what brought back the love of the natural world into my life. Hey guys, my name is Yael Feiner and this is My Climate, where I talk to regular people who found their own small way to make a difference. This conversation is with Soda, a 23-year-old builder from Toronto, who recently discovered his love for nature and the old growth forest near his home. Let's get inspired. So you are 23, you live in Toronto, your life was in a mm-hmm. city, and you started to realize there is ancient forest around you. How yeah. that happened? So over the past four years, it's been a process of gradual discovery. Personally, realizing that around me there were so many different types of forests, and that there were those forests that, yeah, have a very ancient feeling. And here in southern Ontario... Most of the land has been degraded in one way or another, whether for urban development or agricultural. So the pockets of old growth forest are very few and far between, but those that still remain are very beautiful. So it was just a lot of researching and reading about which sites were old growth and then also just being on the ground, like going to different forests and gradually coming to recognize what a older forest or more intact biodiverse forest felt like and looked like and so on so if somebody never been in an old growth forest what's the difference between that and just a forest well a lot of that will depend on where you may find yourself like what kind of ecoregion you're in. because the old growth forest they do look uh, quite a bit different depending on the Where you may be and what the natural species cover might be but generally across the board higher level of biodiversity is a is a good indicator that you're in a more intact forest the presence of big large old looking trees is definitely like the main thing we we look for but some old growth forests even the trees in them may not be so big but you'll come to recognize over time that the older you A forest may be the wilder of a feeling and of a kind of mosaic of different species are there and um, the difference is very stark say between an old growth forest and like a tree plantation which across the country we have a lot of tree plantations mm-hmm. which have a very barren understory with very little herbaceous undergrowth and they tend to be very like dark and deeply shaded places because the plantings tend to be very dense and it tends to be frisk that either red pine or Norway spruce over here in Ontario or in BC it may be Douglas fir cedar plantations or spruce hemlock or but those plantations they have a very distinct feeling <laughs> and they don't always feel like a forest can you say more about this uh, special feeling it doesn't feel like the same presence and I think a lot of that has to do with that a lot of the friends of the trees are, are not 
as present. There is wildlife in tree plantations as well, but it tends to be much more limited. So it's the whole kind of symphony of life that you get to experience in a in an intact forest or an older forest that has regenerated naturally that has a very ancient feeling. So even if, say, you may be in northern areas of Canada in the boreal forest, even though a certain area may only be mm, 70 years old because of all the forest fire that naturally occurs up there, mm-hmm. you still may be able to feel more of the ancient energy that kind of permeates in the landscape because that area has been growing naturally for a very long time as opposed to having been interfered with maybe by some kind of industrial intervention. Yes. So on your website, I can see there is amazing pictures of those ancient forests, old growth forests, 10,000 years old, like the Ferry Creek. How was your experience in Ferry Creek? And have you been there when the police made the raids? Oh, yeah. Every oh, yeah? Day, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was an interesting part of it, for sure. There's a, there's a lot... It was crazy. <laughs> it was a lot. It was funny because in that sense, like, it was a very intense life experience to be, like, having this really wonderful, deep experience, sleeping under the stars, walking through the old growth bush, and taking this kind of direct stance, like, standing before the authorities of the, of the state and finally saying no and rejecting... in a way like all of that rule following that feels so tired and old because we see like everyone who came to Ferry Creek really was witness to the the destruction upon the landscape and the people of the landscape so yeah it was a very intense experience intense in the best ways and then also with the experiences with the police those are very important unpredictable and mixed experiences mostly I guess negative <laughs> yeah for sure so a short note about the ferry Creek uh, blockade we're talking about the biggest civil disobedience in Canada more than 1100 people got arrested ferry Creek is on Vancouver Island it's on Pachidat indigenous people territory and the blockade is still active so when you came to ferry Creek was it for the forest or Or for the climate or for indigenous what was your and still maybe your reasons so the, first, <laughs> the first time that I came to Ferry Creek was actually in August of 2020 when the blockade had just come together I was there with my dear friend Des on just basically like an old growth trip like we were just camping in the forest hiking around and And we had been wanting to come to the, the Port Renfrew and Pachidat area to, just to hang out and, and adventure around. And I met someone who lent me their canoe to canoe on the San Juan River for the day. A really lovely man who's been involved with the movement from its inception. And uh, I just bumped into him. He lent me his canoe and he told me he would take up the mountain to see... The people who were protesting and, and had blocked the road because he was going to bring them some stuff as he was like helping facilitate some support they had basically just blocked and basically made industry be unable to come up the mountain to continue their uh, road building so that was like my first encounter 
And then ever since then, the whole kind of nine months that followed, or almost a year actually, before I actually made it back, it was just following along and really feeling that call to make it back out to BC to come and really commit to be out there for a while and throw down and blockade and whatever came with that. I didn't really know what was going to come with it. And a lot of really amazing things came with it. Can you say one thing you learned from this experience? On the front line, we were under tremendous pressure, daily pressure, being applied from a very powerful, in a certain sense, institution or, or force the police force, who are acting as this arm of industry, are always acting as this arm of industry. But what I learned was that the forest is so much more powerful than the constructed kind of entities that would seek to destroy the forest. And so for us at Perry Creek, we were going through a lot of highly stressful situations, but the forest had an effect on our resilience. And so one of the big things that I got to experience and really learn in, in myself and seeing in the other people around me was that when we come back to the forest and really start to reconnect with the way of the land, then we become much more empowered to transform our own lives and maybe the lives of other beings around us. So for me, one of the biggest lessons was just on community building within the natural world with humans and with our non-human allies, because I truly feel like our biggest allies there were the very trees, lichens, mushrooms, birds. Sounds like the universe sent you to the right place in the right time. How was the feeling being there? The feeling of being... there on the kind of precipice of uh, the ecological destruction that is fueling all of these massive changes that we're going through it was it just felt like exactly where we needed to be I think for this was something that we would discuss a lot of the time on the front line with oh wow this is crazy experience and experiencing this harassment or violence or intimidation from the police is pretty devastating definitely very devastating and life-altering yeah but at the same time it just felt like this is the only place to be right now because at least for me I'm coming from a big city I see all that we've consumed and all that we continue to consume that is fueling all of these uh, existential things crises that were wrapped up in at, at our present times and it just felt like Fairy Creek was the beginning or the continuation of really because these putting an end to this kind of rampant unchecked destruction and, and consuming of raw materials that's killing our earth has been ongoing for a long time and will continue to be ongoing for a long time so long as people are pillaging the earth in these ways but yeah I just felt oh this is like the perfect place to be and so it, that also mitigated I think the elements of negativity or the traumatic moments and stuff because there was a deep sense of purpose and I saw people there at the blockade work harder every day and I've seen like people would stay up all night digging and digging this road made of blast rock which is just so terrible 
dense and hard to dig and people would just dig all night and it was like there was something more than it was just a very deep energy people were experiencing that was allowing them to just go so hard for all of the things that are so interconnected because I was definitely there for the forest but also for the community building and then also for indigenous sovereignty for returning the landscape to a livable state maintaining these places and, and preserving and protecting them. While I'm listening to Soda speaking, I'm getting inspired. I'm thinking how rare it is to find a purpose in life, to be aligned with yourself, with your values, with your truth. And how powerful it is that when you are aligned, when you found your place, your role, you realize you have these buckets of inner strength that were not available to you before. You realize that you have tremendous power to endure hardship, difficulty, discomfort, harassment, and even violence, if it's come to that. This is the power of being aligned and have no inner conflict to take you away from your calling. So I think it's really inspiring and amazing. And maybe a good place to look inside and ask ourselves, why are we here for? What is our why? And maybe also if there's something worth fighting for. Is there? Is there something that is bigger than our own comfort? Is there something that is bigger than our own needs? To finish the months? Or because it's the right financial choice and decisions to do? Because many times I find that comfort life and safe decisions come on the expense of meaningful life. Of following our hearts and coming on the expense of being true to ourselves and our value and altogether it's come on the expense of our planet when you say killing theirs you're using this like strong word of killing what is the feeling mm. of that are you devastated are you sad often from that or being like acting and doing what you do put it aside how do you deal with that When you see all the destruction and that all the systems are against and trying to destroy that beauty. Yeah, it's a world of deep contrast I find myself in where so many elements of the lifestyle around me and even often of the lifestyle that I'm living, yeah, I just feel maybe a little bit not, not helping to slow down destruction like it is. interesting to work in like a field where I'm building and stuff and I love doing it but at the same time seeing the amount of like raw materials that are being extracted it, it does it I do find it a little it hurts in a lot of ways and especially experiencing being at Fair Creek and in the surrounding areas seeing the devastation firsthand and then also right before Fairy Creek I had been tree planting so I spent a lot of time in clear cuts and And uh, whether it's in clear cuts or in the city, I do really feel this, this feeling for what has been mm, pushed away from those places, like all of the plant life, animal life, people life that have been occupying and creating this beautiful land that we were so blessed to live on. Yeah, I, I definitely struggle with it. Can you say more about the struggle and, and the hurt feeling? What do you do with it? Or when does it uh, come up? 
when you see a destruction, then you feel it the most. And what is the struggle? Should I, like you think with yourself, should I keep working in building or not? Do you doubt that? I don't doubt my choices, but I just always feel very called to continue to simplify, I guess, my own lifestyle and just continue to step deeper and deeper back into the natural environment and working on restoring the natural environment as opposed to stomping it out or contributing to the destruction of the place. If I'm just feeling overwhelmed maybe by the disconnection of people and nature that I see in the city, then I find going to the forest, whether that's by myself or whether that's with you know, other human friends, then I just find a lot of healing and nourishment from going to the forest or going to the lake. I really like when you say human friends because it's bring to, to the mind that there is not just human friends, there is more friends around us. And we just need to find them and, mm. and they're more quiet. <laughs> they're less in our face, but they're there. So that's really nice reminder. Yeah. And, and our language is so meaningful. So when you say that, it's right away bring this notion. There's other friends, not just humans. Like you said, the trees mm-hmm. and, and the other animals. So the language is so important in creating that even in our minds. Yeah, I love it. I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the struggle. I'm interested in how do you live with that? Like how you see so much destruction or the disconnect in the city. What evoked the disconnection? The, the concrete, tall buildings, people not saying. What is it that like bring these hurt feelings about the disconnected world we, we are living in? What is it for you? I think that the spaces that we've created are very human-centric. Any kind of plant life in the city tends to be very manicured and just an accent to almost pepper the, the gray cityscape that we, we build. And I think um, being like the lack of natural cover or green space can definitely have an effect. I do feel super blessed because Toronto is one of the greenest cities that I've ever been in. And there's lots of forest here that is appreciated by a lot of us, like of my neighbors, my community. So there is definitely a lot to love about the natural world of the city. But I definitely feel like the spaces that we've created are a reflection of our internal environment as well. And we tend to be very human-centric in our, in our outlook and also in what we do in our daily life. Rather than stopping and going to the forest to immerse ourselves into the natural world and learn more about the land that we come from. Mm-hmm. We often find ourselves maybe consuming a lot of media or going to the bar or doing things that are in their own beautiful, but I think without the balance of having deep immersion and nourishing walks in pristine environments, then we can start to forget about the, the natural world and become too, too human-centric maybe, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yes, it does. Yeah. And I want to ask you, what helps you to stay so positive and yet so clear? So 
For me, usually when I go to the forest, it tends to be so much excitement and love that's just pulling me in. I think when I'm feeling maybe some anxiety relating to whether it be our changing world, our collapsing biodiversity, the, the warming, any of it, I tend to practice meditation and just slow down my reactive mind and the things that I find will give me that feeling that I just need to put everything down tend to be relating to just hearing about the suffering that comes from people's disconnection between one another and the world. So yeah, my process is just mainly to come back to the present moment and, and try to establish myself there so that I can do something skillful to create a positive change, I guess. And it's amazing you're doing meditation. So maybe a short note for people that don't know what meditation is. Meditation is a form of, of Buddhist practice that helps us become more aware, more mindful, more connected to ourselves and also to everything around us. Because when we're connected to ourselves, we are connected to the space, to the room, to the sounds, to everything. And also it's really helpful tool right now in this distressed world. And with, with all the uncertainty we are experiencing to ground us in the present moment with the power we do have, with what we can do, and bring the attention and the focus back to ourselves and our agency instead of outside and just what's going on outside, which is important, but it needs to be balanced. Yeah, I think that the essential foundation that first brought me back into noticing what was going on in the, in the natural world and, and then starting to like love trees and plants and birds and all different life was uh, the practice of mindfulness because that mm. is the solid foundation from which all my other passions or things that I love, I'm able to connect deeply to because we're living in a, you know, a very distracting world. And for me and for, for many of us, We find ourselves distracted most of the time in our daily life. So when I really started to just enjoy sitting and breathing or walking and breathing, they're very simple practices that brought me more into my true presence that I, I hadn't really experienced deeply before. And that is really what brought back the love of the natural world into my life. So I would definitely credit the practice of mindfulness with being what has propelled me into all the things that I love to do now, like writing about nature. And especially I love to write about the practice of mindfulness and the practice of rewilding our minds in nature, because I really feel like nature is the temple of Earth. And the Earth is herself a kind of temple that we can practice in and we ought to practice in in our daily life to enjoy more and experience this beautiful planet that we live in more deeply. That, that's beautiful. I love it. When is the first time you realized there is climate change and how do you call it in your mind? Is it climate crisis, climate change? What do you tell yourself? Yeah, I've definitely called it climate crisis, climate change, climate mystery. There's so much mystery to what is going on and especially what what we are doing and how our kind of excessive lifestyles and activities are warming the planet 
and the climate is just such a great mystery to me. I think like most everyone who has access to say news or information, I first heard about global warming when I was a little kid and it was just starting to be a conversation that was taking place. It seemed like, at least to me, maybe because I was just starting to be at an age where I could hear about <laughs> it. But I think one of the most direct experiences that I could say has been the changing nature of the ice cover on the lake. I live right beside Lake Ontario and seeing over the years, recurring years of, of very poor ice cover, and this has been uh, happening over a series of years, the, the ice cover on the Great Lakes has been becoming greatly reduced, which is affecting these ecosystems and the communities surrounding them and the animals that live in them a lot. And I, it was something that I, I started to notice at a young age was it seems like year on year, our ice cover and our winters here have been becoming much milder. And we're, that's just one of the most direct experiences that I've had with noticing some trends towards a changing climate. And certainly in other places, the, the, the changes have already been much more pronounced, especially in like the floodplains um, of the world where people are especially prone to rising sea levels and things like that. And mm -hmm. even the changes are even more pronounced. But even just here on the Great Lakes, which is a pretty like stable environment, it sometimes feels like. There's been a lot of changes, and there's a lot of different ecological effects that are happening to the Great Lake if they are warming year on year and, and having less extensive ice cover. How do you know it's not natural that this, this change is happening? I don't really. I think this weather climate is, is, is a great mystery. Mm -hmm. I think it would be foolish of us to think, oh, we've just figured it out. Like, it's us 100%. And there's just nothing else at play because any, I think any climate scientist would tell you many elements on Earth from North Pole to South Pole that are, are the kind of things that give us winter in the first place. And a lot of those are subject to change regardless of what we're doing. But with that being said, mm -hmm. the thing that really makes me feel strongly is seeing the level of consumption and the level of burning that we're doing. And so by that, I seeing the amount of raw materials that we're consuming, seeing the way that the landscape is changing, becoming deforested right. in many places in the world, turning into desert. These to me seem some of the most direct, tangible changes that I'm, I'm going, well, inevitably what we do has an impact. And that impact can be small scale, like a single tree that had a bird's nest in it that we cut down and that tree is now lumber and that bird's nest is no longer there. But it can also be on the massive global scale where once we've cut down so many millions, tens of millions of trees, there must be a, a negative effect of that because those systems, they were there for a reason and they wanted to grow. And we've been interfering with that. Just a short note here of how to talk about the climate crisis with people that maybe are not sure it's human-made. Soda gave us here a beautiful direction. If your friend thinks that climate change is a natural phenomenon, contradicting them or giving them data won't usually change their minds. Try the Soda's humble approach. Talk with them about your personal experience and your take on it. Talk with them about what you know 
and about what you don't know. Make it personal. It's your story. It's your climate. Own it. So let's talk about this cognitive dissonance of knowing that we are a problem <laughs> here. Mm-hmm. And how do we, how do you live with that? Or how do you, what? Yeah. Do you have questions for yourself? Do I want to have kids? Like how those understanding that we are a problem affecting you in your choices? That's a, that's a, that's a big one. That's a, an interesting point is that a lot of people now are questioning, oh, you know, would I even want to bring children into this world? And I feel a very resounding, deep reverence and hope for that earth that is still here, that we live on today. It would be a joy for me to show that to anybody. So I think that I definitely don't feel such feelings of, oh, I wouldn't want to have children. I guess that I would definitely love to have children one day, should that come about. And I have a lot of hope about our situation. So we have come to this point of massive destruction in a relatively short period of time. And this has been spurred on, I, I think, largely by imperialism and this kind of empire building and expanding colonial way of uh, life that has been forced upon and, and spreading across the world. So these days, it seems like a lot of us as people, mm-hmm. we want to live a lifestyle that is much more reminiscent of a king or queen of old. Like we, we no longer feel content to just be simple farmers or just be simple foragers. And we want to fly over the world and live a lifestyle that I guess we've come to realize now or we're coming to realize now maybe deeply unsustainable and unnatural and we've built those kind of societies but I also feel like those <laughs> societies are not permanent so this this troubling way of, of interacting with the world that has been spread upon the land by I think by ignorance and greed are the a couple of the driving afflictions that have been really the fuel behind a lot of this kind of destruction and poor choices. But anyway, to get back to, I think this imperialist colonial way of life is going to unravel because it was never meant to be like this in the first place. Mm. And I myself feel so much hope and just like love for what is manifesting now. I feel like there's a lot of really amazing things that are happening now and we very well you know may not be able to reverse the that which has been done cannot be undone and Mm -hmm. certainly we have so much uh, momentum and propulsion towards even more destruction we see every day another species goes extinct and that hurts that hurts the earth but it, it hurts us too because we are the earth even if we've forgotten And although I do feel a lot of troubling feelings of sadness or feeling, oh, we're, just, we're not going to figure it out. Like, we're still living this way that is killing us, you know, and, and killing everything around us. I also feel like there is another way. And I feel like that is the way that is more powerful in the end, because the earth is just a very powerful force that we just have to remember our greatest potential here and our true place here. Yeah. From everything you are saying, I get the feeling that your role 
is to inspire people to love nature. Is that how you see yourself too? I want to help other people fall back in love with Mother Earth. And I think that this is one of the roots that we have to grow because there are so many wonders still here that are pillars that can support us in our life. And I know for me, if I'm feeling hurt, nothing is more powerful than going to the forest, taking off my shoes, <sighs> kneeling under the trees and just letting so much out and the forest just holds me. Yeah, I want to help other people fall back in love with Mother Earth and yeah, I will continue to myself just create and practice in nature and I just want to invite other people to continue to like build community with me that we're learning how to live in reciprocity and in harmony with the earth. Again, becoming friends with so many other plants now and, and different species makes me all the more, it doesn't make me not want to meet more humans or think that humans are, are bad. It actually makes me just love humans so much more because we really do belong. We're not an accident. Life is spontaneously perfect in a certain way. And although we may be a lost species now in, in many ways, I love humans just as much as I love old growth trees or intact landscapes and I don't feel like those two are in conflict with, with each other per se. I really just feel so grateful when we do come together and become friends, all of us, and in nature and build relationships that bring us deeper and deeper into like love and life in the natural world with one another. So that what you're saying is amazing and inspiring and I feel like full of love and spirituality. But there's another voice in me that really want to ask you a difficult question. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a voice that wants to melt into this love of nature and wants to believe that everything will be just fine. And that people will wake up and we will make it. And there's another voice in me, and in each one of us, that calls himself the realistic voice. That wants to hold on to what we have, keep business as usual. This voice wants to keep driving a car, eat tasty food, even if it's animal-based. And leave the climate thing to experts. And in a way, what I'm asking is how much we believe The situation is urgent, which forces us to change our lifestyle right now, right away, and really take the situation as crisis, and how much we are feeling unsure and confused, and our actions reflect that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think I know what you mean, and that's a great question, and that's, yeah, I, I don't have a clear answer, but because I, I'm still wrapped up in that very much myself, every... day we have here i think we should in whatever capacity or level we're able to diligently strive to transform our our way of life and i think that there's a, a large degree of self-sacrifice that comes with that such as like things to do with our personal lifestyle like you say driving a car or maybe flying to the other side of the world or just certain things now i i'm not really someone who advocates for people just giving 
up these things because I think that a lot of the the biggest things are maybe happening with like larger entities than the individual. And yet the largest entity is the collective of individuals. So I think that our culturally we need to transform and the culture is totally made up of all of our individual ways of life. And so I can't, you know, speak on other people or tell other people, oh, the climate's going crazy and you have to stop doing this or you have to do more of this or you have to come blockade or you have to not drive your car. These are very difficult subjects because they relate to people's lives. And it's crazy. Like life, especially life in a capitalist system where we have to make money, we have to, we are no longer connected in that way where we are providing for ourselves. We are relying on these systems cost money. I don't know if we have to. It's we have to if we want to keep this lifestyle. But you can live in a temple, you can live in a retreat center, mm-hmm. you can be part of a community. But it's changing your lifestyle. Uh, yeah. I, I can walk my son to school 40 minutes a day back and forth. I can work less and walk in the snow. It's not that we cannot do that. But it's a changing of our lifestyle. And you're saying it's difficult to talk with people about their lifestyle when we have a conversation about life existence on earth. So that's interesting. I think what I tend to stress the most, just because maybe it's, it's what I'm the most familiar with or the most comfortable talking about, is building into our life practices that make us slow down and just consider more deeply our actions. And I think that if more of us are more mindful every day, then collectively we'll be able to slowly, which maybe we can't do these things slowly because maybe things are happening much faster. It's complicated to talk to people about these things or just to go through it yourself. We're all just figuring out living in this crazy system we're relying on and is also making life maybe impossible in some ways. Yeah, that's it's a very tough space to navigate, but being in the renovation business, I'm baffled. I, I can't believe like we tear down a perfectly good dwelling right. and then it's, okay, make it bigger. Okay, make it. And uh, the level of waste is, I have so many friends who are in the food industry and they say, I can't believe it. I can't believe. And it's the collection of all what seem like maybe little actions. Mm-hmm. And then it just creates this insane consumer demand that we live in. And, oh, yeah, it's, it's wild. No, it's, I don't think I could build these houses all the time for a living because, yeah, it doesn't feel like uh, it should be happening in a sense. Obviously, I don't know. I really want to build like natural building, building with a uh, cob and with my hands and the earth and building like tiny house or something, which is, is, is a very promising and emerging transformation in in the way that we're considering our, our housing i think now a lot of people moving towards a more like humble and simple way of living which i i hope it keeps expanding i i hope to keep expanding it as well <laughs> i feel like we've really been getting tricked into destroying the earth by entities that would seek to control us and we've been driven into this state of like dissatisfaction Mm-hmm. and consumerism and materialism that yeah it's just there's a better way to be maybe but hard because even our cultural institutions or our you know governments and stuff very much encourage us to 
do all of these things, buy vehicles and buy homes, work hard and make money and so that we can buy more and build more. So it's the whole momentum of the system is intense. Yep. Any last words to the universe? And I hope that everyone, whoever may listen and yourself and myself, continue to deeply enjoy all that is happening because everything is happening out there. Life is very much happening and blooming beautifully in the world. It's spring here. And this is an amazing and, and, and wondrous time to get outside and meet all of the the new life that's emerging. And so as the seasons change, I just hope everyone has a lot of mindful moments of healing and nourishment in nature. That's really what I wish for everyone right now. I think I just love hearing when people like go spend time in the forest or on the coastline or in the desert or whichever intact ecosystem you may be near. I would just encourage everyone to just find that quiet place inside of themselves and then go to that quiet place that they can go and commune with nature and have a direct experience with life. And that would be kind of my parting message is just continue to practice and enjoy this amazing life that we have. And we're going to figure all of this out, to, whether it be relating to climate, our interpersonal relationships with humans, our, what we want to do in life. I'm here for everybody. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I would love to connect and continue to just experience this life together. My, my website is oldgrowther. And that's crazy for my Instagram. So I would, I'd love anybody to reach out and I would love to talk to you more and just continue to have these conversations and build these, uh, these relationships. I'm so grateful for you Amazing. calling me and yeah. asking me to come on. <laughs> it's just, it's really, I feel so blessed. Thank you. And when I saw how you wrote so beautifully on the social media, I felt like, okay, this is a person I want to talk with more. <laughs> I, I can feel the love of nature through every word you're saying. So it's very inspiring. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to My Climate with me, Yael Feiner. I release a new episode every Friday where we learn from regular people how to find hope and clarity amidst the chaos. Please sign up to the email list so you can be the first one to listen and get inspired. You can also follow me on Twitter and where I help people transform climate anxiety to purposeful action. You can find those details in the podcast description. See you next time.